0: Good evening and welcome to the Flamcast. This one's slightly different. Instead of having one half of the uh, the VeloCast crew, I now have two halves. So I don't know what what does this make this whole program uh, one and a half? I don't know. Anyway, look, this program's going to be uh, so much better with John, as you can hear him giggling in the background at long last, and Scott. Good evening, gentlemen, and welcome to the show. Hello, Derek. How's things with you? Not too bad. You, John. I'm well, Derek. Do you manage to get the twins to sleep? I have for a change, yeah, yeah. I just saw your tweet there not five minutes ago about um, the Team Ineos, Team Sky thing. And yeah, a couple of years ago, we used to have proper, proper, proper scandals. Now we've got this watered down.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's all good fun. And Scott and I were talking about it. And I, I don't think we're close to seeing how it plays out. Yeah. Um, you know, so we. I'm keeping a watching brief just now. You know, I'm not doing the tin foil hat thing, but I'm not just doing the the T manyos fanboy thing either. Just wait and watch how it plays out and make a decision once all the data that we're going to get comes to the fore.
0: True enough, uh, and I think as well at the moment, um the way the inquiry is going, I think it's more focused on actually getting Doctor Freeman off or getting the best result possible for him. Shane Sutton's um, penis. So- Hey, um, so we're not going to necessarily get the answers we want from this inquiry, but that's it. That's not the kind of the tra- trajectory of it anyway. So, look, it's going to take a, it's going to be a long old tale of this thing to see how it, it fares out.
1: So, what we're talking about today, gents?
0: Um, I suppose the season as a whole. The, go on, Scott. You can jump in with this one. Well, I'm glad you said the season as a
2: whole, because that's what I've kind of looked at in preparation for this. If you'd have said something else, I'd have been completely screwed. You're one-up on um, me,
1: I actually looked at psychedelic <laughs> albums of the late 60s. As Perfect.
2: As prepared as ever, John. <laughs> uh, yeah, as you said, Eric, it's going to be on the the 2019 World Tour season as a whole, and actually quite a good time to, to look at it, because I, I note with, well barely some interest that this is the 10th anniversary of the the world tour as we currently know it um so maybe kind of good at the end of this just to get a couple of comments from from everybody regarding what the their thoughts of how the world tour is <coughs> on its 10th anniversary <laughs> and how we might see it going forward but I guess we we really should start right back at the beginning if we can remember that far back
0: yeah uh, no. No, I can't. I, I believe there was something happening in Australia. Um Ella Viviani may have won something. Um other than that pfft, No, I I, I I I can't. I suppose um, the season now starts, what, that's the, the very last week of January? 26 26th, 27th of January? Well, the, I, mean, the, the,
2: the, I mean, I'm only doing this because I, I had a look at some dates. Uh, the, the Tour Down Under is the 15th of January, so it's it's really just barely in at the second week of of January. Uh, and that was Daryl Impey who, who won that with uh, Richie Poor in second place and, and Woop Pools in third. The, the race, of course, that you were mentioning earlier Viviani in connection with was the great... Ocean Road Race, uh, which follows a a week after the the Tour Down Under.
1: Famously, I mean, I think the Santos Tour tour Down Under has found its place in the calendar now. You know, I was sceptical about it for a long time, but I really enjoy it now. And it does start to kick off those juices to start watching some proper road racing. Of course, it's not real race until you get to Omloop. But the interesting thing for me in in those very early season races was in the UAE Tour. Winner was Primoz Roglic. And I think that's the start of the clue why he collapsed in the Giro. Um, he was in such good form so early and for so long that to carry that on through a three-week grand tour later in the year was too much for him. But he's been one of the men of the season. Well, I mean, I
2: think possibly him, his uh, DS having a pee and an opportune moment was was one yeah. of the reasons that contributed to his collapse in the Giro, rather than being too good too early. But as a good point, well made.
0: Um, what did you think of I suppose we could break this down to a couple of different ways we can look at each race individually or we can take it say your grand your your GC writers, uh and then your your classics from the GC riders, you know I suppose Fulzang was kind of fairly good throughout the year he had a he had a a steady season and actually managed to win a few mm-hmm. Roderick as you said had a had he came on song very very early, uh, up until right up until the Giro and it kind of like he said, there was a couple of things that came together for him there and he he looked as if he was a little bit he peaked a bit early but then he came back for the Vuelta later on, and, and he looked he looked as if he had the measure of that and rode into it, but I suppose there was no there was no real dominance from Team Ineos.
1: I think they've had There's a very no bad year. I mean, to be honest, if they had yeah. had Egan Bernal, um, certainly. Th- it was, it was compromised by that horrible crash of Chris Froome where, you know, we can talk about the photos and the hospital and all the tinfoil hat stuff, but there's all sorts of people from all sorts of teams, including Dan Martin, who were either there or on the scene almost immediately, and all testified to how bad a crash it had been, and that certainly compromised it. But Egan Bernal, and to a certain extent actually, I thought Geraint Thomas did a very credible Returned to the Tour de France, having won last year, but Bernal saved the entire year for for Ineos, for me by winning the Tour de Suisse and then following on for the Tour de France. I think t- even laying aside all the Freeman, you know, Sutton, um, Steve Peters doing a weird kind of thing where he said that one of them was lying but couldn't see who it was. Even taking away all of that, I don't think they've had a particularly good year.
2: No, they absolutely haven't, and you're right to highlight how Egan Bernal has kind of saved them. Um, and I, th- I think, given the fact that Egan is so young, and is the first Colombian to to win the Tour, there, there's a lot of firsts there uh, that that really catapult him into being such a massive story. Had it just been Gering Thomas repeating his. His Tour de France victory from last year, I still think there would be more of a a kind of down in the mouth attitude yeah. as regards Enios's first year per performance because it has been so lacklustre. I mean, you're, of course, you're right to highlight Chris Froome's uh, crash, but but even out out with that, they were a team that until Egan Bernal really came and took grip of the of the tour very late on in the day it could have been so so different and, and it could have been just a, a team that 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 f- that frankly flattered to to deceive by by that Tour de France win because yeah it, it hasn't been anything like how dominant they've been in 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 previous years and it'll be very very interesting to see how they they come back from this because while they have huge strength and depth, there is starting to be a feeling that with with some riders like Froome, for example, coming, no disrespect, towards the end of his career and coming back from such a, a horrific crash, how well he's going to fit back into a very, very crowded Grand Tour-focused squad with, with new signings like Carapaz uh, coming in.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting stuff. And I mean, we have to remember that Bernal won Paris-Nice as well. So, I mean, he's virtually single-handedly saved was And sh- the Tour de Suisse. Yeah, yeah. Um, we should talk about the, the, the spring races, though. Derek, um, quick step, fairly awesome as ever.
0: Yeah, they were. And I suppose the one thing that I will say about him is that, you know, uh, Alaphilippe did very well, you know, uh, Strader Bianchi, uh, Milan, but then it was they were relying on um, Gilbert for paris Roubaix. Like, it, you kind of felt that. I suppose they're a, they're a little bit in transition. I think for their, their classic squad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a couple of years ago when they lost Trent and then they lost. What um, went wrong oh, when Boone left, mate? Yeah, possibly. But they even when Boone left, I, I think John they they started playing the numbers game. Yeah. That it didn't it didn't matter. Who won? Once it was one of them, yeah. And they had they had that kind of strength in numbers, and they had that that strength in depth. Um, and you know the loss of Trenton. Who's the big guy that left this year to or left last year? Went to Direct Energy. Nikki Terpstra. Terpstra, that's him. Couldn't think of Nicky's <clears throat> name. Yeah. Um, I think they've lost their, their good quality second lieutenants um, and they just haven't had the guys that have stepped up so far. Um, I know Steve Barr is still there, but I, I do wonder where they're going to go next year. I know that that they're. Well, they've they're got a decent splinter, d- haven't they? Uh, he's okay. You know, he's he'll be all right. Like, you know, <laughs> look.
2: I think you're being a bit harsh on the kind of quick step there, Derek. I, I do see your point regarding them being in transition, but. Given when you when you take a, a a broad overview of of the classics, and you see Stibar winning Omloop, then you see Philippe winning both Strade and Milan San Remo. Stibar then taking E three, um, mm. and they, they still manage to get Casper screen uh, on the podium in second place at Flanders. Gilbert winning Ruby. Um, really the only Philippe of course winning Flesh for as well really the only races that they didn't feature in were Amstel and, and Liège so if we're rightly highlighting that they, they are a bit in, in transition I think they would certainly take a transition year where they won or podiumed on uh, and, and the vast majority of, of the races that they will target
0: No I'd agree there but I do, I do think that I suppose, yeah, Askren has looked as if he's taking a step up this year, and he's rides in the. Did he ride Vuelta as well? Where he was, um he did a lot of work in good in some of the good stages. I think he's going to step up, but it's a matter of actually getting them to step up. I would have liked to have seen one of them taking a a Flanders or a Roubaix this this last year rather than Uh Gilbert or Alaphilippe mopping up everything for him. Yeah, the next but,
1: generation aren't as obvious as would like them to be.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time. You know they do have that strength in numbers, and they do have that ability to to play all those cards. But in saying that, this year Flanders the strength in numbers went against them because they looked at each other, and Betty all went up the road at the right time, you know, and was gone, and that was it, and the numbers really didn't matter at that point. But it's going to be interesting to see how they they fare out. Um, I think Stebar needs to stay around for another year or two because he is the road captain. He is the the, the man who kind of commands that sort of stuff and who makes the makes the calls, and I think they do need that little bit of ex- experience after uh, Gilbert moving on and few of these things like like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how they, they they balance that out, and it's going to be interesting to see who starts to really challenge them. Will van der Poel come strong? Um, you know he rode a little bit stupidly a couple of times this year, um, and he doesn't have the doesn't quite have the team support and everything else that. Um, a good tilt of the classics needs, but he still has the the skill and the wherewithal to do it, but he's going to be interesting to see.
2: I was going to say there, I mean, it it may be that, you know, once in a generation exception to Classics races where you kind of do need a a team around you just to counter moves and and, and provide that something else to think of when, when those inevitable smaller groups form at the front of Classics races, because he is so strong you're absolutely right to to highlight how he has made some some mistakes and been involved in in some some crashes where you know, his positioning may be at, at, at fault. I mean, I, I, in fairness to Corrington Circus, that, that crash that, that he had was it in Flanders, actually, where yeah, the, front um, wheel. Yeah. the front wheel went. His teammate was right there straight away with him. So at, at least they, they've got support there. Maybe not guys who are going to challenge for races, but certainly there to, to back the their, their nominated rider of the day up. And as I say, I think he is so strong that it, it may be with, you know... the the right the right circumstances as we saw with with Amstel. i mean that was just a, a phenomenal one and, and as john was highlighting when we talked about the the classics a few weeks ago it was one of the most amazing things we've we've ever seen in cycling so i, I think you know going back to your point about the quick step I, I guess the problem with with them and and, and to to your uh, assertion of of the the new guys not really kind of Shining as much as perhaps they should, and and what we're describing as a transition year, new guys have been shining elsewhere in the, shi- the shape of of uh, Matty van der Poel and and Voot uh, van Ert. Mm. The, the Quick Quickstep do have some serious competition coming into to, to the twenty twenty spring campaign.
0: I think just on that, uh, I think Van Ert had a little bit of a, a slow start to the season, and he and he when he lit up, he. he when he finally got going, he really did get going and it, would, it was horrible to see him robbed of, you know, the rest of his season from the crashing into our friends. And it's going to be interesting to see how he comes back, recovers and everything else because this is, this is the mark of a, a the difference between a good rider and a great writer when they come back from something like this, do they get back to the same level? Do they have the same desire? Do they have the same attention to detail? You know, does it change the person in any way, shape or form? And not just mentally, but actually physically, you know, th- does he have a leg imbalance? Does he have any of that sort of stuff? And to see how he recovers from that and how he kicks on from it. And it's going to be interesting as well, I suppose, to see Yumbo, how they balance their, their Grand Tour oh, yeah. teams now going going forward I mean I, and what, I, sorry So,
1: I mean what I was going to say is for Wout van Ert, I mean he did have a slow start and he built and he was looking really impressive before he went down when that, that banner caught his leg and, and took him down in the time trial in the Tour de France for me he was one of the riders of the year just for that riding in Bianchi where he never looked like winning but the sheer determination of that chase was magnificent to watch and it was obvious he was going to cramp up on that final climb into the the square in Siena. But, he, you know, it would have been so easy for him just to sit up and drift back to the groups chasing behind. But he just put his head down and to get back onto those two, even though he didn't stand a, you know, a cat in hell's chance, I think showed the strength of character that I think will, will help him come back for that horrible injury he suffered.
2: And he's young enough, of yeah. course, which is is always a key factor. It's one thing that we talk about in and, and riders who are getting on a bit in their career and, and certainly in the shape of Chris Froome. John, you've been saying well, he is over 30 now significantly over 30 and But he you feed bunnies wonder, to snakes, mate Well, does, this is another one of your, your well-known tropes on, <laughs> on Chris Froome uh, one, What I was going to say just a, a moment or two ago there, John, was go, going to get Derek's take on Peter Sagan because that was one thing that we talked about mm. quite a lot in our, our show on the classics was, it just was not Sagan's year at all in any way, shape or form really was it?
0: No, and I suppose before we discussed all the all the, the classics earlier on in the year, I did say to John that I thought, you know, Sagan to move on to the, the Merckx platform or the Boone and Cancellara platform he needed to win Flanders and, and Roubaix or he, you know, he needed to be doing back-to-back things like that he needed to be you know, to step into the pantheon of greats, this is what you know we've we'd seen with Cancellara, you know, doing flan, doing the double double and stuff like that. And I I thought that this year, you know, to take him above everything else and to be and he's always been Peter Sagan, but to take him into the, you know, the the the, the rare air of Antiquiel, Merckx, all that sort of stuff. I thought he needed to do that sort of stuff, and he just I don't know. He had a really poor year. Mm-hmm. Um, Health, everything else wise, his ride in Roubaix was it'll be forgotten about. But it was probably one of the most classiest rides you'll ever see. He he rode that race on one leg. He I'd say he didn't have a he didn't have a match to burn. You could see him eating and drinking all day, and he was he didn't he didn't put his nose in the wind. He didn't do anything wrong. He knew. He calculated everything that he needed to do that day to be in the right place to see if he could give himself a chance. He didn't have a leg when it came to it. Um, but that's that's a sign of a really, really fantastic rider and a really, really fantastic bike rider. And it, it just, I don't know, it. it Sagan, is, Sagan can go two ways from here on in for me. He can become... Fat Elvis had a residency in Vegas here. He can take the the easy cash to go do the Giro. He can turn up for other races, take the easy cash and beat Peter Sagan without an effort. Or he can kind of knuckle down again and go at it again and try win Flanders-Roubaix. He can, you know, I think he needs to be challenged and I think in some way, shape or form, someone needs to burst the bubble of Team Sagan or Team Peter and challenge the the status quo a bit and actually push him a bit and take him out of his take him out of his comfort zone and see if he can he can push on. Yeah. But at the same time he is Peter Sagan what, what does he have to bother? You know, i I'm, I'm been slightly harsher on him, but like he's won everything he needs to win. He's done what he wants to do. And at the end of the day, as he said himself, it's just cycling. You know, it, it's, it's not overly important in the grand scheme of things. One of
1: the greatest world champions in the history of the sport. And I mean, what I said when we were chatting about him was essentially, I think this year, what we saw was Sagan's basic class and racing brain. You know, that class was enough to get him into a situation where he could win. His racing brain until he was absolutely the end of his tether. And we saw that in Ruby. You're exactly right to highlight that, Derek. Put him in the right place, kept his nose out of the win. What was lacking was the form that would give him the last five percent to drive that home.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, your your comment there about the the potential for a fat Elvis. Appearing, uh, you know, in a residency in in Vegas may actually be the green jersey of the Tour de France. He could, because he is so good at it. But I think twenty twenty is going to be interesting basically for the fact that Tour of California isn't there and he's opted to go to the Giro, hmm. which will completely change how he approaches next year. I think it will give us a better Green Jersey competition and, and you know that might seem harsh on Peter Sagan, but he is head and shoulders above anybody else in that competition and has been for the past what, seven, eight years now. Um yep. so I I think him going to to the Giro will change both his spring campaign and what is what you know, you that kind of analogy of, of the, the, the Vegas residency in, in July for him? I think, from Peter Sagan's point of view, 2020 is a crucial year as as to how the latter stage of his, his
0: career is going to unfold. Very much so, Scott. And I think you're right. Um, bringing his grand tour debut forward to the Giro, will he be sharper? Will he be hungry? Will he be? Will he be focused for the, the the classics? Will he be wanting to do stuff in those? Will he be wanting to be active? Will he be wanting to win those? Or is he just going to go, ah, look, I just need to get the form for the Giro. I'll go out there. I'll take my few bob. You know, I, I can see, you know, I know this year we had um, a load of sprinters climbing off stage 12 or 13 in Giro. Mm-hmm. You know, he could, ver- he could very much turn into... um. A Chippo, you know, turning up for the appearance money right until stage 12, 13 of, of Grand Tours and, you know, that's it, like, you know, and to your point as well, Scott, about the, the green, green jersey, I have been contemplating that perhaps there needed to be two jerseys in the in the tour, a red jersey for sprints, and a green jersey for, for points. So your red jersey might, or your green jersey might be for stage finishes. Your red jersey might be for your intermediate points. You know, there's I do think that um, ASO are slightly conservative about how they they they, they judge their jer- jerseys and how they score that sort of stuff. And they're not very inventive, or they don't really shake things up to make those other jerseys attractive or interesting. You know we spoke earlier on when we did the grand tour wrap up about uh Bardet winning the, the polka dot and I don't think he won uh, an oars category climb this year did he? Now that used no, to be I, a big I, thing. Th- yeah, well, I mean
2: that's that's where I grew up was in not only watching the tour for the overall winner, but being someone who liked a a, a climb, would, would love watching how the, uh, the the polka dot jersey played out. And, and seeing the guys who would, you know, it, it, it's it's not so much winning it by by default for kind of being there or thereabouts. It was people who actually went out and chased that competition who were literally the best climbers in, in the race. But I, I guess in, in ESO's defence, we, we do have uh, some measure of blame to be thrown in the direction of specialisation that... You know, the, the the guys who are Grand Tour riders now have to be all things to to all parkour. Um, and it, like you were saying with the the, the points and a, and a sprinters competition, it's maybe time that ASO do shake things up a wee bit, and and how they are they're going about awarding jerseys uh, for individual competitions.
1: Right, I've got two questions before we move on from the spring because we need to move on from the spring, otherwise this show is going to be as long as a two Johns podcast from the, you know, the early noughties. Um Philip Shelby, he's now got four monuments. Okay. He's only got Milan-San Remo to win. He posted a picture of himself training in one of the San Remo
2: tunnels this week. What do you think? Got a chance next year? Um, I'll I'll go for this one, I guess, since I, I breathed in first. <laughs> 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 I, I'd say, yes, he does. Uh, but it would have to be a unique set of circumstances. And that's not to say that that Milan-San Remo doesn't throw up those Kind of circumstances which would see a Philip Joubert win. He needs to win um, alone
1: from the podium, doesn't he?
2: Exactly that, and and I think whether it's other guys having other um, targets for for the season, allowing him more of a, a, a an advantage in his preparation solely for for that race, or indeed injury or, or weather conditions which which play into the the Belgian hardman's kind of parkour Mm -hmm. for for the afternoon I mean it's not I think where I'm going with this is it's not beyond the realms of possibility and and if he's going to target it then next year it has to be the race for for Philip Gilbert and and nothing but that because going beyond 2020 it's it's very much into the the territory of the, the law of diminishing returns in terms of a career.
1: Yeah Derek?
0: Um it's an interesting one. I I do think the last few years we've, that we've seen the, the kind of blanket finish, where we it's not been a, a bunch sprint, but it's been a front group as such. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hard it's hard to see him winning from that because there normally is fast faster men in that that group. But if you look at the year end, and you look at the World Championships, and again you can compare the World Championships to. Um, Milan because it's the lent, it's the the weather, and everything else affects it. And you look at the the finishing group with Pedersen and, and Trenton, and you would have had your house on Trenton, but the minute he stood up to go sprint, he just didn't have yeah, the legs under right. mm. Yeah, so you could see something like that happen if the weather was right. But I suppose the other thing I was going to say is it depends on a few other variables, and I can see Gilbert has gone to a lot of this year. I can see them being passive and keeping him playing a bit like Sagan at Roubaix keeping him in out of the wind not being very aggressive uh, keeping him well positioned looking after him just having him in the right place at the right time and he doesn't need much he's he's Philip Gilbert at the end of the day Mm -hmm. he just needs someone just to have bottles jerseys or jackets at the right time and he can he can sit there but to follow up from that it depends on how someone like quick step with their numbers play that for instance we've alluded earlier on that the the strong talk is that sam is is there and he's going to be their sprinter for for the next season and hopefully that comes true when we see the the official announcement from but if quick step play they want they want an early win for sam they want to they want to you know state their claim they want to put sam in a in a very strong position and they want to show off their sprinter and they want to show off everything and they want him to win it may suit gilbert because they will uh, Step will want to keep it for a small select group they'll want to keep a, an even tempo on the the last two climbs um they won't want to put sam into the red they'll want to face him in to the last last oh, 100 meters, 200 meters without Gaviria, maybe facing against a Christoph a De You know that sort of class of rider, but they won't want to bring too many fa- fast men to it. So that would play into a Gilbert, because I think they, that's that's my that's my thoughts around how Quickstep are going to play. Because Alaphilippe has already won Lance San Remo, so I think they may want to try and play it towards Sam, but. Um, you can never bet against Gilbert. Like, mm-hmm. he could take, if, if for example, Quick Step are down to just Sam at 400, 500 metres, a kilometre to go, could Gilbert take a flyer? Yes. Would people look at each other? Yes could he win it from there? Yes. Very much so.
2: Yeah. Uh, one, one kind of maybe final thing before you come in with your second question, John, is just thinking back to Roubaix this year and fully cognizant of the fact that Roubaix is not Milan-San Remo, but, but sh- simply in how Philip Jobert went about his Ruby win this year was he spent the entire day grinding everybody else off his wheel. And I think that if he's to win milan Sanremo and make... Him, one of those, you know, very few riders who've won all five monuments, that's what he has to do. Mm. He can't wait. I don't think he can even wait for it to be a case of going solo off, off the podio. He has to spend With A big almost, dick in the Chiprecy or whatever. Yeah, he has to do one of those, you know, Hail Mary attacks, as as the, uh, the Americans would say, and just spend the entire day making sure there is no one or somebody who won't be able to take him in a sprint by the time they, they, they come to, to the end of the race
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that I would love to see it and for Gilbert I think it would be a massive crowning achievement for a career that's been you know, packed with magnificent wins and talking about magnificent wins my second question isn't actually a question I just want your comments on it we recently lost Raymond Poulidor one of the true greats of the sport and Going back through his Palmares, looking at photos that people like Chris Sidwells have been posting of, of Poo Poo, comments from Emmanuel Macron, you know, talking about his importance in, in French culture. How amazing is it that he got to see that win from Mathieu van der Poel in the Amstel Gold Race before he popped his clogs? I mean that's just magnificent. What a great way to go out, to see your grandson win a race in one of the most dramatic and fantastic ways that we've seen in the forty, fifty years I've been watching cycling.
2: I mean, I I think to to be slightly Scottish and and with it that that dark humour which I, you know the Irish come come with as well. There was almost a sense of. Right, that's me done. Alright. you know, like like you were saying, he, he got to see his grandson win Armstrong gold, and that's me. I've I'm, I'm, I'm finished here. See you all later. <laughs> I'll see you at the bar. I'm um, a, a magnificent character, and I think in in some way Raymond Poulidor represents cycling fandom. We don't always root for the guy who or we don't always celebrate the guy who wins everything. I guess Lance Armstrong, for for the obvious reason, is, even before... It all came crashing down for Lance. There was a sense of, with him being so good in verticomas during his day, it got very, very boring very quickly, and people started rooting for other people. With Re- Raymond Pulido being the eternal second, he's more famous for that, and and so much more beloved. And I think that kind of sums cycling fandom up in in a way.
0: Mm. I I think one thing that really really struck me. Um, was the photograph the half and half photograph? Oh, that was astonishing.
1: Oh.
2: Mm.
0: He's the absolute head off him. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't believe that. And just to go back to the dark humor that that, that Scott did mention um, when uh, Pulido was taken in sick. Um, <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah, Merck's also had a, a, a crash off the bike, and I, I myself and Scott were on WhatsApp, and I went, "He's not gonna. It's not going to happen again." And Scott went, "What?" Merckx is going to die first and poo will die second.
1: <laughs> I tell you what, though, it nearly did. I, I mean, I was yeah. I, I was chatting to, you know, Peter, our, our mole in the Belgian cycling world. Merckx, if the no luck, a nurse was passing. Yeah. And if the nurse hadn't been there, I mean, Merckx is talking about the fact that he might not have made it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it'd be horrific to lose that many, uh, that many, uh, Great in such a short space of time. But I, I do think, like you said, John, I think uh, Pulador's, his influence on, on, on cycling and everything else, he was just a gentleman. He was just a gentleman. And he was, you know, anyone could walk up to him in, in the, the Tour of France Village and chat to him. And he, he, he never minded chatting about anything yeah. from everything that I've heard about him. Whereas... Again, to your point, Scott, uh, go back to that that sort of year and you look at Antequil, and he won everything, but he was an absolute a- asshole yeah. At, yeah. Uh, at the back of it all, and that's probably because why he was, you know, he wasn't liked as much, and that's why the French took Poulidor to their heart so much as well, because at the end of the day, Antequil was uh, an asshole. And I mean, I
2: think was at sixty two, where riding into the the, the Part of France, um, Jacques Anquetil was booed. By by the crowd, the the Parisian, the French crowd, booing Jacques Anquetil as he was winning yet another. I think it was his fourth um, Tour de France that that year, and um, um, which is was astonishing. And I think that really kind of marked the start of Pulido being the French favourite, and and. Just to, to kind of go forward in time to to the aforementioned Merckx, that the, the great tragedy, I guess, of of Poulidor's life is that he just happened to be at his best in competition with two of the best that the sports ever seen, on and Eddie Merckx. But that doesn't take away, I mean, if you go even to Wikipedia and look up or pro cycling stats, whatever your website of choice is, to to look at his Palmares over, over those 20 years. Oh, he won a as, lot. Oh, an astonishing range of, of results. Just a, an incredible rider. And as you say, Derek, an incredible guy. Just fantastic. I don't think I've ever heard anyone with a bad word to say about Raymond Poulidor, as opposed to, as you mentioned, Jack Oncatil, who was an absolute arsehole. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. And let's let let's leave Antekiel there and wish Poopo the best on his journey to the next next world and everything else. And he he will be missed. He will be very very missed. I'd say by both ASO, his grandson, and everyone else.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd, 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 it would have been nice if he could have seen Machu Pulo in a yellow jersey or something. But I'd settle for that. I'm still gold win. That was a win for the ages. So the Giro first Ecuadorian Grand Tour winner.
0: Yeah, it was a bit of a strange one because I think uh, probably Nibali probably dropped a bollock on it. Really, he was he he, he he was he was watching the wrong people, and I I won't say Carapaz stole the Giro, but by the time Nibbles realised what was after happening. Um, it was obvious that Carapaz was the form rider and there was no way of getting that jersey off his shoulders.
1: No, I think we got an indication of Carapaz's form in that stage where he beat Caleb Ewan, although Caleb did a a magnificent chase up the hill to try and catch him. Um, I think Tom de Milan might have been able to, to challenge before that crash, which ruined the rest of his season. But Carapaz, I think by the end, was looking kind of inevitable. I mean he just looked like the form rider um, Signed for Ineos now Which I think leaves us with all sorts of questions About what his targets are going to be for next year Because they have an embarrassment Of riches when it comes to Grand Tour winners But it didn't feel like a Fluky win to me, I mean he genuinely Looked like the rider who had come ready And maybe had been underestimated By the others that gave him that wee jump At the start, but you know wasn't it wasn't It wasn't an Accidental win, you know he was strong all the way Through right to the finish
2: No, No, you're you're absolutely right, John. No, not at all. Um, I I think you're you're both absolutely right. It wasn't a fluky win, but I think Derek's also right to to highlight how much Vincenzo Nibali spent looking at Primoz Roglic's backside. Mm. He was overly concerned, and and possibly rightly so, given how much Roglic had been talked up in uh, the race's coming ahead of, of the Giro, how he was the in-form rider. And, and his results not,
1: had been fantastic.
2: No, absolutely. And, and it's not like Nibali to to be tactically naive like that. I, I think it's one of the rare occasions where he was just too solely focused on the guy that he thought he had to beat. And Richard Carapaz rode away with, with the race. Um, and in the stages where we did start to see him coming to, to the fore, it was notable that I mean, I remember thinking at the time, and surely said it on one of our daily shows that you know Nibali needs and and Roglic as well. They need to stop looking at each other and watch Richard Carapaz because he is literally and figuratively disappearing up up the road here. And I think by the time that they they realised that it was it was just too late. There was no road left for them. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, John, I suppose. What did you think of Lopez Yates? in that Giro they were were
1: I thought they were shite
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) no to
1: put too fine a point and I mean Lopez he had some big digs but then at points where it looked like he was having a good dig and he should have pressed home he suddenly seemed to sit up for no reason at all so I don't know if it was because he didn't have the form and his racing brain was, you know, was telling him what to do, but his legs weren't able to cash the checks, his brain was writing. Uh Yates I expected far more of. Um so I think some of the guys who could have turned up in better form and really challenged, maybe weren't quite there. But that doesn't take anything away from Carapaz. I think if they had been there, he would still have been you Know that cliche there or thereabouts, but I think I think there have been a fair few disappointing performances from people that we expected more of this year in the grand tours. Um, it's, it's been a funny old year,
0: Scott. Um, what did you think of, um, Orica Greenedge, or Orica Scott or Orica, whatever you want to call them, or, or as Kelly would call them, Ulrica, Ulrica um, Greenhedge. Yeah, they've got a few Grand Tours balls off now at this stage. Like they do, and
2: and it's been in marked contrast to how we've come to to know Orica in in the Grand Tours. They 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 started off being the the plucky underdog who were sniping stage wins to. Be in a team that actually these guys could start challenging for for the overall in in grand tours, and we saw the likes of the, the Yates, excuse me the Yates brothers come to the fore. Um, but I don't know whether it's it's certainly not for the the lack of team spirit because we see in those backstage pass videos how much all of the team wants. I mean, it's very much like Deconi and Quickstep. They don't care who wins. Uh, as long as one of their riders is doing well and and they do support each other. I don't know whether it's it's maybe tactical naivety, maybe Matt White starting to get into territory that he's, he's not overly accustomed with and knowing how to play uh, Grand tours or not been able to keep a, a lid on the enthusiasm, as, as was the case with the Giro last year, of, of Yates doing too much too early. and And... As as you say, Derek, they they are kind of screwing it up slightly when when it comes to the grand tours now.
0: Yeah, I, I think they are. I think they've 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 managed to muck them up more than they've got success. And you know what, what what I mean by that is they're they can be bet by someone better on the day, and that's fair enough. And you know, Carapaz was obviously the best rider in Giro, um, and then you know, right, we were second or we were third, and Carapaz was just clearly the best rider, and that's that but they've been so badly off the pace at times it looks like they've really got their com- their complete strategy completely wrong which seems very very strange um and which you know there was talks that um Yates had suffered in the heat and stuff like that and he'd done he'd done work that way and you know they they talked about nutritionals and all that sort of stuff and still they managed to get it off so like it, it it's it I don't know I don't know how they're gonna balance that out or how they're gonna take learnings from that and kind of map it going forward for their own riders. And just to your point as well about the the stage wins, um, you know, they fell out with Ewan and Ewan left the team because they couldn't afford to bring a sprinter to Grand Tours mm. anymore. Mm. Um and when you see a team going like that and you know, we we, we mentioned it earlier on uh, with Jumbo, how they're gonna face the Grand Tours this year or this next year. Um when a team gets that series for Grand GC credentials. You know, they have to be, they have to be there, thereabouts. They can't be ballsing up as badly as they have over the last two years.
1: No, and they've got some super strong domestiques. It's not because they lack the riders of strength. So it's clearly a tactical issue.
2: I mean, I guess it, as we'd move forward from, from the Giro, looking at the inevitable tour build up, one one of the teams I, I, I want to maybe kind of highlight is, is Movistar. And talking about Grand Tour balls up. I and mean, yes, we had Richard Carapaz now, of course, signed to any of us for next year. But this, this continual reference to to a three-pronged uh, attack in any Grand Tours has been an abject failure. I think it's, it's, it's safe to, to say. No, I've got, I've got oh.
1: no argument with that.
0: No, and uh, in fact, I would not call it a three prongs. I would probably p- call it the three Stooges attack uh, or the three Stooges, whatever way you want to form it. But like, yeah, it, it, I think three amigos
1: ma- is the uh, is the the, the, the monocular <laughs> choice <laughs> at the moment if we're going to keep it current.
0: Yes, I suppose so. But uh, I suppose, um, and the I did Giro highlighted what they could do with two riders riding as a file, and I know you can say. <clears throat> Landa did Landa, and he wrote for Landa at some point in shape or form. But at least when Landa wrote for Landa, it also aligned with the team, and actually benefited the team. And it wasn't some narrative afterwards, right? Um Why are we going to say Landa attacked there? Um Because Roglic was having a piss. That's why we okay. That that and they weren't retroactively fitting a narrative to what actually happened on the road. You could see why okay, I can see it, this is Landa bin Landa, but it does suit them for him to attack here. And it just goes to show when they they had the cards to play to challenge for a Grand Tour, whether it was a, a challenge and win for a Grand Tour, whether it was a Giro or a Tour or whatever. And they've managed to balls it up for so many years. It just The Giro just kind of makes a, a, a laughing spectacle of what they've had over the last few years. And where they go from here now is another day's work.
1: Well, Valverde's got another 10 or 15 years in his career, is not he?
0: Well, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: you know, all joking aside, I still think that Shearer is going to be his team. And uh, that's that's a weakness in the way that I think, and I, I'm, I'm loath to say this, but Boonin was for Quickstep. When one personality dominates a team so much, it limits their options.
0: It does, but at that point, John, uh, Quickstep were content, and Boonin was content in some way, shape or form. Once the team won, he won, mm. and Valver- Valverde is not that rider. He is, he's not the rider that would have let let Landa Carapaz or uh, Nairo Man win instead of him. He would have, if they got away and they got into the pink or they got into the red this year, into the red jersey or into the yellow jersey. If he saw them cracking the next day, and Team Ineos or Jumbo didn't have the legs to attack him, I'm sure as shit. Valverde would if he had the legs, yeah. and that's the difference between Boone and, and Quickstep and Valverde in this scenario. I do think he is the team is him. I I would have preferred to have seen movie star maybe ship him on this year or move him out to a director role or do something else with him because I I do think he's oh there I use a term a malign influence. Um, but yeah, I do think he's a bit of a a black hole in that team. Uh, he just needs to be. Moved on or something done with him?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, he will retire soon enough. Uh, but I think. I think. I think the big problem for next year. And I don't think we'll see it in the same way as we did with movie star. As Enios have got an even larger embarrassment at Richie's now, and what are they going to do with them? the The difference is, um, current shenanigans aside, they seem to have the discipline to designate a leader and actually get
0: behind them. Yeah, but I'm going to throw a curveball here to the two of you. Two of you can come in on this one. Do they have an embarrassment of riches?
2: Yes. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I don't think we can we can say otherwise when they've got this uh, year's Giro d'Italia uh, winner coming in. They've got, okay, a returning. And it's, it's very much a... Schrodinger's Froom uh, at the minute as to to how well he can come back, but a, a, a four time uh, Tour de France winner, a rider who has won all three Grand Tours now, uh, possibly for these- five
1: times, depending on how this Freeman case goes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: OK, well, uh, again, Schrodinger's Freeman. Um, <laughs> we, we've got to say that he's looking for his fifth in, in 2020. Uh, they've got a previous Grand Tour de France winner and second place this year in Geraint Thomas. Uh, I still have my doubts over what, what Geraint can do in, in the coming years. And they've got the, the current um, Tour de France winner in Egan Bernal as well. There's there's a lot of... of riders there that could easily take any one of, of next year's uh, Grand Tours. And I'm, I'm very curious as to, to where you're going with the the assertion that, that Team Ineos, on paper, don't have an embarrassment of of, of riches. The, the
1: really interesting thing for me, actually, is Bernal, because we've had Froome coming out and saying, Egan says he'll work for me next year. And Bernal's been saying, you know, I'll work for but. Talk is cheap. What we've I, seen I, I, from know, Bernal I've... this year is a contadoresque dedication to winning. He gives zero fucks about helping anybody else.
2: No, I, I would maybe question that a, a, a wee bit in the from What I've given to understand, Egan wasn't even sure he could win. He didn't have the confidence and that's maybe over-egging the, the, the confidence word there. Yeah, that's
1: changed now though.
2: It, it certainly has changed but I, I do get the feeling that that um, Egan Bernal is not Bradley Wiggins, and he's not Geraint Thomas either. That that if he does say he will work for for Chris Froome, that that certainly that is in his mind what what he will do. I think it can change dependent on how Chris Froome comes back. But I think I'd 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 caution against throwing the the, the conspiracy theory around that that Egan Bernal will will throw. Chris under the or Chris from under the bus and and ride for himself. Much as he has every right to do so, he is the mm-hmm. defending champion. So I wouldn't blame him for that. But I, as I say, I'm just got me personally. I'm going to put a lot of stock in what Egan Bernal is saying at the minute. It's one of
1: the interesting
0: things to watch for next year, though, isn't it?
2: Oh, definitely, mate. Absolutely.
0: Um, to finish off that curveball, I disagree with your assessment of Egan Bernal um from what i've learned of him and f- from speaking to professional writers um he carries himself uh as a contador, as an eno as one of those he believes he's above everyone else he believes he's better than everyone else he has an attitude uh, he has that uh, i think he might that, be right <laughs> <laughs> oh, no no but he has he, um, he has uh, uh, that he'd knife you in the front instead of knifing you in the back attitude he had he carries himself uh, this was early on in the year that I had I was speaking to a few people and I got these got this feedback this was even before the tour of France when he carries himself like that he believe you know so I I don't think the confidence thing is is maybe 100 percent true Scott I th- I think he does believe that he should be there he should be at the the, the top table and he, he probably in his own mind believes he's better than the rest of them i suppose uh, my curveball originally originated because if you look at how they rode the giro and how they rode the the vuelta uh, bar the headline names the team has been shocking this year oh, Kioto- Kiotowski off the boil uh, Theo Gagan Hart has been all over the place pools the same uh, now as as pools left
1: yeah he's got yeah, the off
0: too yeah exactly that yeah. yeah so i think they've lost Elisson, rosa pools Halverson, and um, kiotoski took a lot of time out this year um I, I if you it's like any team if you look past the names i don't think the the depth is there civakov had a an up and down year i know he finished what was it 9th or 10th at the giro but kind of he was in the same breath as bernal um and been mentioned on that sort of level. Uh, Ivan Sosa hasn't really delivered either. Um, hasn't been. We haven't seen him light up the climbs, or we haven't seen him do that sort of thing in any of the Grand Tours for his GC rider. Um, you know, or even in the one week race, or something like that. You know, that's. So I, I I I have questions over Sky for next year. I th- I think that they are aiming more for less of what we've seen previously and more of what we saw in this uh, Tour of France where that they keep their GC rider intact in close close proximity to the jersey and one decisive move and one decisive mountain stage puts them into the jersey and takes them home uh, instead of seeing what we've previously seen where they've dominated a Tour or a Giro from start to finish. I mean,
2: I think... All very good points because as we've talked about at the start of the show and and just there, Ineos have been poor uh, yet they still came away with 1-2 in the biggest race which is always going to be their their target race for for any season, the the Tour de France. And and I guess in in my increasingly flimsy defence therefore of saying that they do have an um, embarrassment of riches, I think I did say on paper. So... You're absolutely right to, to highlight how strategically and tactically they have been all over the shop in, in 2019. And it is going to be interesting to see just how they play it in 2020 because their opening... Campaign as Team Enios has been poor. I think they got away with a lot in in coming one two in the, in the tour, but and it'll be interesting to see what they do in terms of signings. I mean, I noticed that just this week they've got uh, Carlos Rodriguez, uh, coming in. And um, it'll be interesting to see how he develops at, at Enios But and how they gonna... do
1: against the rise of Yumbo.
2: <laughs> exactly that. Yeah. Um, so, twenty twenty for for Ineos is is crucial for for them as, as I guess any other team in the peloton it's not often that we've had to say that of a, a team sky outfit
0: John what do you think
1: no, I, I mean I, I think it depends on discipline and I don't think any of what they're currently going through will help that um, you know it undermines the the atmosphere in the team I would think as well as, as public confidence I do think the rise of Yumbo Visma is, is really interesting um, I was chatting to a couple of our subscribers who are one's a doctor and one's an orthopaedic surgeon and they'd been listening to Scott and I saying we were concerned about Tom Dumoulin and what they said is without seeing you know, his actual medical files the injury sounds like one that given time and given proper preparation and recovery he will come back from uh, so if they've got a Dumoulin who's looking lean in focus when we see him just now if we see him back to the forum where he won the Giro with a, a Roglic ascendant, um, you know, how's that team going to work? I think there's all sorts of dynamics that we're going to have a lot of fun talking about next year. Um, team Ineos, I, I do think, you know, there's a natural curve to how a team does. Um, and I do feel that they're over the top of that bell curve and. and almost on the way down, whereas Yumbo are on the other side on the way up. And I think next year's gonna be a fascinating watch to see how that, you know, how those those various dynamics clash.
0: Indeed. Indeed. I suppose, guys, look, we're coming up on an hour here. Let's let's park our our part we'll call this part one of our season wrap up. We still have the Tour of France to look forward to and we still have the few classics that were left at that point at that point, and we can discuss the the world championships so we might reconvene later on in the week and get a second part out how's that? And the Vuelta Oh yeah I almost <laughs> forgot about that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that That sounds like next week as opposed to later the same week mate because I think
0: we're looking at about another hour around a quarter there Indeed Gentlemen thank you
2: And as Derek